again, everybody, and welcome back to our PGC podcast. In fact, Emma and Tom's PGC podcast, to be exact. Thank you if you've listened to our first two episodes. This is episode three, and it's no different, really, to our our first two in terms of our format. We're going to give you a deep discussion. We're going to talk about well-being. We're going to give a shout out to someone and something they've done. We're going to give you something to try. But the exciting thing about today's episode is that we have got a guest, Tom. We have got a guest. I thought you were going to say the exciting thing was that we're actually recording in Cardiff Met for a change, the first episode where we're not out on our travels. But yes, we are with Sally Bethel, who was previously programme director of all PGC Secondary, and now not that. You're a senior <laughs> lecturer in PE, and uh, I no longer have to be on best behaviour in your presence. Uh, you still is, do need to be I on best behaviour, Tom. Okay. okay. <laughs> and uh, you're here to talk to us about various things, including to continue our discussion about mentoring, which is very good timing, because that was what the last episode was about. We're recording at the tail end of August, the calm before the storm, before the PGC course starts, but this is going to come out a little bit later. How was your summer, Sally? Do you know, I've had a lovely summer. just been talking to Emma about it and I've had a couple of nice little breaks away, but I've also sort of been doing some preparation, playing with some preparation work for this term. So just really excited about the new term and uh, feeling quite well. Well. That's very good. I agree. I've just come back from a trip to Ireland and I've been doing pretty much the same. I've been doing some really nice things, but summer's a nice time for those things that you kind of, you're really quite passionate about to be kind of percolating in the background. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can have a, a, a deeper think about those things without the burden of having to get things done immediately. Yes, I've, I've enjoyed playing with some ideas. Oh, I like Lovely. it. Very nice. Okay, so Sally is going to talk to us today. She's going to start off on our deep discussion, which, as Tom said, is all about mentoring. Now, we had our previous episode where we had a look at the difference between the mentor and the coach, and we talked a little bit about the differences in, the, in that role. And Sally, this is something actually that you're particularly interested in because yeah. this is something that's part of your professional doctorate. It is. Yeah, I've um, just spent the sort of, I suppose, about the last 18 months looking in a bit more depth at, at mentoring because it is absolutely crucial to our students' success. And I work with such a lot of good mentors. I really kind of wanted to understand a little bit better what their actual role is. What do they do that helps our students be so successful? So it's been looking at the skills and qualities, really, of, of really good mentors so that we can identify them and see when they use those skills and, and how they're effective with them. So that's kind of my, my little passion at the moment. That's great. And it's really timely, actually, because, you know, we're at the start of our, our teacher training year when this comes out uh, to you all. And you are going to be starting to build relationships, hopefully, with mentors. Mentors, if you're listening, this might give you some food for thought as well about how you engage with your student teachers. So over to you, Sal. Well, just when I read, uh, sorry, listened to Emma and Tom's second podcast, what I really liked was the discussion around mentoring and coaching, and, but it was on a sort of more sort of theoretical. And I thought, actually, we need to think about how you get the best out of your mentors for our students. So it was just some ideas really about perhaps how you might think about engaging with your mentor. And I think the first thing for me is that part about being really explicit. Although a lot of the time we can understand what people mean, 
Sometimes we miss that. So being explicit with your mentor about your needs is really important because they can't read your minds and things change. Students are unique. Mentors are unique. And how they interact is um, going to be different every time. So negotiating that relationship is really important. But I think that idea about being explicit with each other, and obviously that requires some very good social skills, but I think for me, that's one of the crucial things. Um, I think making a good impression is really important with your mentor, particularly, I think this will go out when you've been there a couple of weeks. So, you know, the idea about being there regularly, being punctual, your attitude and enthusiasm. You know, schools are tough places. So people going in with lots of enthusiasm is absolutely crucial to successful training, I think. So along with that part about being explicit, I think it is, you know, you'll be required to do things at various stages throughout the placement is you can flag those up to your mentor. You know, their their primary concern is their pupils and you are are not their first concern or you're at the start. You know, your survival is quite important and you think you're the most important person. I think you need to be careful about that part. So thinking about when things might need to happen and warning your mentor about those things in a nice way. It's such a difficult balance, isn't it? Because a student who's really passive and really just expects to be given everything by the mentor is, you know, speaking as an ex-mentor myself, really, really annoying. Mm. Uh, but a student who's endlessly hassling and doesn't quite know the right moment to ask for that thing is equally annoying. And you have to be really tactful as a student, don't you? Absolutely. And and that's that bit, which I think is is negotiating your, your relationship, is actually being smart enough, emotionally intelligent enough to do those things and you're going to get it wrong some of the time but I think hands up that you and recognizing that as an important thing you get things wrong and your mentors will get things wrong for for doing for all the right reasons but you still got to negotiate your way forward Mm, absolutely and something interesting as well is that if you don't be explicit about setting out your stall Mm. they might not realize that you've got a wealth of experience like perhaps if you've been a ta before yeah um and therefore you know you might need to be four steps ahead a bit quicker and your mentor simply wouldn't know that that's it so we think there is you know from what you're saying as well about the experience part you know people come into this first school experience from various stages and there will be people who need to be led a little bit by their mentor and a mentor will once they know that, we'll be happy to do that. And as you say, there's going to be those people who are far more experienced, who actually need a little bit of guidance, but are actually good to go in a different way. So negotiating what you need and making that explicit is a, is a really important skill to being successful, I think, in this particular first school experience. But I also think that bit about being enthusiastic You could forgive people a lot of things, couldn't you, if they're enthusiastic? You can make mistakes, but if you're for genuine good reasons and you learn from them, Mm. I think that's, you know, a good mentor would understand that. You don't even have to do anything complicated, do you? I seem to remember the the moment I made my breakthrough with my first school experience mentor was when I spotted she was having a nightmare with a year nine. I think it was last thing on a Tuesday or last thing on a Friday, one of those awful graveyard slots. And I just popped down to the staff room and at five to three and made a cup of tea. I brought her a cup of tea at the end and I said, there you go. I'm sorry it hasn't got any gin in it. 
And I think that was the <laughs> moment that my mentor and I just absolutely clicked. And and it was it was a brilliant placement from that point on. And so you don't have to do something educationally amazing or particularly clever. Just put the kettle on sometimes. Yeah. And I think that goes back to the emotional intelligence, that idea of of kindness you know there's a lack of that sometimes and as you say that this isn't rocket science this is just about being kind and recognizing what people need and knowing your mentor is a person the same and, and not infallible absolutely so I, you know that's, that's a really good point to make i think tom about being kind and thoughtful obviously mentors take on this role i think because they feel they've got something to give and therefore listening to the feedback that you are given is really important. And I'm sure probably Emma and Tom, you've both done this, when you've gone in and the mentor has said something like, they don't always listen to the feedback. And that's a real frustration for mentors. So even if you don't perhaps agree with what's being said, the idea is that you listen first and then you can go in and check what they mean by that. And again, negotiate what it is that's being said. I heard a really great saying on that the other day uh, on the radio, which was we should be listening to understand rather than listening to respond. So I think that kind of works nicely with what you're saying. You know, sometimes we're quite eager to, oh, but I, 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 I was going to do that. And oh, I, I, I had planned for that. And yeah, listen to understand to begin with and then think about how you're going to respond. And don't feel you have to respond in the moment either. I know there's been students where we've had to negotiate with a mentor that they're going to give the feedback and then the student is going to go away for a while before they (laughs) respond to it. And that's done the world of good sometimes. And I think that's a really good point because in the heat of the moment sometimes you can't see what's happened. Given time to calm down and reflect is is an important thing to, to be able to do i think so yeah not not having to do that and sometimes it's worth you know just delaying that feedback and the responses a lot of time i think we're given feedback straight away after a lesson mm. And if something's gone wrong, you're not particularly good at listening. (laughs) No. And the other thing that sometimes happens, and and this is where there can be a mismatch between what people think is going on. The mentor thinks they're giving loads of tips and tricks to try. And the student thinks they're telling them loads of things they didn't do and should have done. And and actually, it's just people are not not having a meeting of minds there that the mentor thinks they're being helpful and the student thinks that they're being negative and some kind of negotiation there can often solve all kinds of problems because they people don't realize what's going on sometimes and i think if you can ask for something like you know to what went wells and an even better if give me something from you know ask your mentor then to sort of almost some what would be the next thing you suggest i do to have an impact on that lesson and as you say tom when you're given lots of tips you know which is that which is the priority tip yeah what's the crux (laughs) yeah so being able to ask those questions and in a way that doesn't i know annoy your mentor um I'm not quite sure quite what the word would be around that. Diplomatic. Yes, that's absolutely it. And it is, isn't it? Because, you know, I think the mentor has a difficult position because they've got the support role, but they've also got the quality assurance role. So they are the people that are going to grade you. So you do have to please them to an extent. But on the other hand, the mentoring role is for your development. So the fine balance between those two sometimes. But also I think what a good mentor does is they also take on the feedback of other people in the department now I know sort of in some departments they're very small but in some departments you're working there's a lot of people that you would work in their classes 
and coordinating the feedback and coming up with strategies for moving forwards is the job of a good mentor. They will talk to other people in the department, pull that information together and then sort of say, right, so next week, perhaps the priority would be across all your lessons, irrespective of the member of staff that's there. And they would hopefully negotiate as well where different teachers have different expectations, which is really useful thing for them to do. And I think when you do find that you're trying to please lots of different teachers, a conversation with your mentor to negotiate with those staff sometimes is really useful um, so that you know exactly what it is you're looking for. I think another one that quite interesting when I've been doing some of the research with my mentors is when I talk to them about academic support, so all those assignments that you're going to do this year, they actually don't consider that to be their role. This is the feedback I'm getting when I'm doing the interviews. And I've said, well, I I actually think it is part of their job. But clearly this is, the, the reality is, they don't think it is. And I think they don't because they think that university does that. Students do that in their own time um, and there's not that connection. Whereas I think if the student was to say, I'm studying this, I'm looking for this, I'm observing this and actually share that with their mentor, you let them know what the academic work is that you're doing and why you're doing it. Mm. They are interested. They're just a little bit nervous. Obviously, they're incredibly busy as well, but they're a little bit nervous that if it's master's level work, maybe they can't help you, which I think they can very much because they're the practitioners. They they know what they're doing. They just don't look at that as academic work. Mm. So I think sharing what you're doing, sharing what you're finding particularly is really important. And the mentors that I've spoken to said, actually, I'd really love to know what they're doing because I know they're doing something with my students, uh, my, t- my pupils, sorry, but they're not having that conversation. So have a conversation about your academic work. You know, the first assignment, you're going to be watching people. You're going to be observing what people are doing. And on the second one, you're going to be trying out things and seeing if they make a difference. Well, let the mentor know what it is you're trying so that they could actually provide you with some written feedback, some more suggestions, and they could help make that much richer research. And then if it's research informed, it might help them with their teaching and what they're doing within the department. I think one of the nicest things recently has been that breaking down of the them, the them and us Absolutely. thing. It's, mm. it's the, been this idea that the assignments are a university thing and they're not really relevant to practising teachers and that practising teachers are here to just, you know, teach you to do your craft. And it's been really productive when departments and schools have said, we're really interested in what you're doing. In fact, one of my students last year got a job on the back of that. The senior management took an interest in his research and the, he was talking about it at an interview and now he's working in the school he was placed Brilliant. in. Brilliant. That, that's a really, really nice example because that's what you'd like to hope, wouldn't you? This is a really exciting new frontier, I think. And just to add to what you were saying about, you know, the us and them, university is for this, school is for this thing, I had a really great conversation with a mentor a year ago where she was on an outstanding teacher program and she recommended a book that is now one on our, on our reading list so there is that that I want to say reciprocity did Ooh. I just make up a word no I, think I you, don't know but it's a nice word Em. <laughs> we've all got something to share with one another mm. we need to break down those barriers and ultimately that's going to create the best circumstances for for our people's Yeah. And it also leads in with the the whole drive of being research informed. You know, we're reading things, we're trying them out in our classrooms. 
but there's a lack of sharing of that back. What are we finding out? What works? Mm. And yeah, it might work in one situation, but not in another situation. But that's actually that's the skill of teaching is yes. trying things and seeing what works with which which with children and actually that conflict that we talked about in episode one between us as ITE people and the ed studies people on the conference you know we said that needed to stop and I think the conflict and I think it has actually been conflict in the in the not so recent past between the teachers doing their craft down in the trenches and these sort of crazy lecturers up in university you know not attached to reality I think that was a really bad thing and I think that going away has to be good. Well, I think particularly the things that we did last year with the training days in schools, you know, we're trying to link theory and practice and observing it. That's definitely has got to be a sensible move forward. And if we're talking about relevant and authentic experiences for our students with their developing of teaching, I think that is a a strength we might hopefully be looking to expand on. And I think the students are aware of it, all the candidates are, because I did a a careers talk down at the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama last year and I had quite a combative question from a student right the way from the back of this enormous concert hall saying, I've heard from my friends you just get thrown into a school and you're just slave labour and you're not supported. And I was able to to kind of, in a really nice way, shoot that idea down in terms of our programme and say, no, no, all this... All these things go on and that is not going to be the case. And I think perhaps it is in some places. Yeah, and I this was one of my reasons for doing the research is that I am so impressed with what our mentors do in school. Mm. Given the circumstances they operate under, the support, the nurturing, the care they put into that role is is incredible Um, and to be able to celebrate that in a way and allow them to be able to articulate the role that they do and how important it is because I don't think it is played out as an important role outside of outside of the system that we're operating in it's not recognized and yet actually it's it's massively significant maybe this is a good moment to say that because of course sitting here in kinkoid we get inspected by estin we get people in grilling us and we get the students giving feedback and the mentors just get celebrated endlessly in that feedback our relationships with them and what they do so perhaps this is a good moment to say mentors if you're listening we do love you and people do (laughs) we do say what you do is brilliant absolutely and i you know I, i think i'm always i'm overawed by the the care that is taken the enthusiasm that's shown the willingness to put themselves out when they are incredibly busy in their own jobs and and schools are tough places at the moment so i think that's yeah definitely tom i'd second that one i totally agree i think that comes full circle to what you were saying about research sally because we can sometimes feel a bit like we're being a bit indulgent if we have a conversation about research Mm. and theory and you know taking time rather than talking about sort of the more practical aspects of of what's going on in the school experience but actually having a coffee and having a mentor meeting that's about i've been reading this or this is what i've been looking into this is my professional development journal entry what do you think yeah that is a really valuable way to spend that time, I think. Yeah, and it does. It legitimises that, doesn't yeah. it? Because as you say, it, sometimes it does sound a bit airy-fairy and you know you should be getting your hands dirty all the time yeah. as opposed to being cerebral. But actually, we do need to think about these things. Well, thanks, Sally, for all of that. That's been a really interesting exploration of that crucial role Let's move on to our well-being slot, shall we? And uh, we're going to ask Sally for some advice here because Emma and I have uh, gone on about well-being quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Sally, what 
have you brought to the table to enhance all of our well-being? Well, I... It was from something you said, Tom, um, when you were asking me about doing the podcast. You were saying that, you know, on our course, we actually retain all our students most of the time. So we have really good retention rates. And, And it did make me think about what it is that happens during the year. And I think a lot of it is to do around the support the students give to each other that they actually affiliate to being a student in this on the course, on the PGC secondary course. They are part of the P subject course and there's a real s- strong sense of affiliation there. And because they are, they've got somebody to go to. So although as tutors, we always say our doors are open and mentors, they're always very good and supportive. Having peer support is... I think, probably the most important thing for the whole year. So I don't say you need to be a very sociable person, but I do think you need to find somebody you can share with. Mm. And it's about sharing the teaching part, yes, the high, the um, the resources, the subject knowledge, but also somebody you could say to, I've had a bad day. And they'll be honest enough and say, I've had a bad day too. Because we like to share the good parts. We're very good at going, this worked and I'd like to share that with you. But sometimes things don't go well. And the support that somebody else can give you to go, it's normal. Things go wrong. And more experienced people shake them off much quicker. But when you're starting, it really hurts. So I think the idea of having somebody you could just say it went wrong and they will give you a cuddle or they'll give you some nice easy advice or they'll go I don't know what the answer is but perhaps you might try this so I think finding people that you relate to that can support you within the course because they know what you're going through so it's great having partners outside of the course friends outside of the course but I'm not sure they always appreciate what you're going through Mm. so for me it's well-being for this year particularly and I think probably throughout your teaching career is about finding people that you can share with and being collegiate but having a sense of belonging I think we should probably say at this point, how many students did you have last year, Sal? We had 39. And how many did you lose? None. And a pause there while I (laughs) grind my teeth with jealousy, because I have a class a quarter of the size of you, and I'm not sure I've ever got through a year without losing somebody. So something's working really well there. But I think, Tom, you know, it it can't be down to one person being in charge of them. If if you've got 39 people, you can't look after all of them. No. But you can within the group look after each other Mm. so finding just even if it's just one other person that you can share with I think that would really help people get through the year it's it's really interesting and I think what you're talking about as well is is that community that sense of community um, which you will inhabit many different communities working in education you know with with your colleagues in school with your peers with us as as university tutors and I think it's about kind of investing in the community yeah and you're absolutely right Emma it's not all about you just receiving you will be that support person for somebody else at some stage Mm. Um, and I think that's why Mondays on the course are a really important part the number of my students that come in I'm not sure they're always that bothered about my lectures but they are really keen to see each other and to share their experiences of the week. A great time to pick up resources, you know, because 
you can only make so many resources but just to offload mm. you know it makes for my students i know that makes a huge difference absolutely yeah, i think one of the things i've worked out from being here for a couple of years now is certainly early on i felt duty bound to ram those hours on a monday absolutely full of things and now I'm not afraid to leave a little bit of unstructured time in there because I know people just need to have a chat sometimes. That's really important point, Tom, I think. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I totally agree with and that. And also, you know, even if you have your 10 to 12 lecture and your 1 to 3 lecture, make time to have a coffee afterwards. Sit down with somebody, have a coffee, have the hour at lunchtime to have a chat with somebody. We're always rushing, I think, as teachers. And yes. You know, Emma, you said it was all right to sit down in a mentor meeting and talk about research because you think, well, actually, I need to be doing something more hands dirty. Same on a Monday. You know, just take that time to breathe, have a coffee, you know, sit down, have a chat. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Sally. We've got some really great tips starting to build up now to help you keep your well-being in check, I think. And our next item is of particular interest to me as a, an expressive arts teacher, because Sally's going to tell us a little bit about a student teacher who was a PE, is a PE teacher yep. in training, but actually decided to be a bit experimental and dabble in some dance. So over to you, Sally. Right, well, the, when you ask me about a sort of an example of something that I've seen where you say, actually, I think that was excellence, I watched Kelly Thomas two years ago uh, teach a dance lesson. Now, Kelly was is from a competitive footballing background, so very happy to teach certain aspects of PE, very uncertain about other aspects. And you mentioned, Emma, that it, it was this is a creative activity. Mm. And some of our students find those bits quite difficult because they're outside their comfort zone. Sure. There aren't rules. And we like rules in PE. So, you know, when you say there's all this other stuff, it's uncomfortable. And Kelly had to teach um, dance. And there was an established unit of work there on puppetry. And she was uncomfortable about it. But I think for me, when I watched her teach, it was tingly. It was one of those things where I watched it and I just got absorbed. I wasn't trying to really analyse it. I was just loving watching it. And she started off by giving the children a stimulus. So she showed them a beautiful little YouTube clip of, of a puppet being manipulated by the puppeteer to give the children the idea of what the, the unit of work was going to be around. So that first clear visual was, was wonderful and it had quality to it. Um, and then she actually taught them some movement. So she didn't just go and let them play with that idea. She gave them something structured but she had to demonstrate to do that. So she stood in front of a mirror with a, with a very cute little year seven as her puppet and manipulated this puppet. But there was real delicacy to the movement because obviously a puppet's on strings, so it's got to be light and, mm. and uh, very precise. But she demonstrated it beautifully. So the children had another clear visual mm. of what the sort of quality was that they were looking for. And I think for me, when you 
if you're teaching something that you're not comfortable with, there's a good chance that if if you don't feel comfortable, then you're going to make your children uncomfortable. So give them something. I make it more comfortable. I, they have to copy. Yes. Copying is the simplest thing that children can do. Mm. They don't have to vary from that. So she gave them something to copy, something to feel confident about. And then in the main, main phase of the lesson, they, they could manipulate some ideas. They could take, She gave them some more ideas, but they could then play with those. And they started to get creative and they became more confident. And obviously they had dance mirrors in there, which allowed them to look at themselves, which was, was great. But she then had them evaluating what they were doing. So, so structure-wise, of a, it was a good, well-structured lesson. But for me, it was... It was the delicacy of of what she did when you say you're a footballer, which doesn't to me equate to delicacy a lot of the time, although it is an art form, I know. But the the really, really thorough planning, she'd had to plan incredibly carefully. She'd had to resource the lesson very carefully. and, And there was, again, another thoroughness there. And at the end of the lesson, she was in tears. She was exhausted from getting herself so up for this lesson. We couldn't do the feedback part straight away because we had to let her calm down. But I did sit there and just think, I think I've just watched something that's excellent. I was all tingly. And the kids were high as kites. They'd had such a nice time, but they'd been creative mm. and physical. Mm. So for me, that that lesson that I watched of Kelly's was just I think it was a one, it was excellent, but it had the careful planning and the risk. It could have all gone wrong because she wasn't confident. I think it's really exciting to listen to, actually. And, and, and what I really loved about it was the fact that she was willing to take such a big risk for her pupils. And she was asking them to take big risks as well, because, you know, obviously they were they were in PE. They perhaps didn't expect to turn up to that lesson today to, to be... Dancers. moving like dancers or moving like puppets so there's so many layers there that she clearly set herself up to take that informed risk for yeah. her pupils i think that's that's really exciting isn't it just one of the best bits of our job when you go into a school and see something like that yes just fab so kelly thomas we salute you wherever you absolutely. are absolutely <laughs> she's in Aberystwyth now that's fantastic I, I just wanted to bring something in on this actually because you got me thinking sally i oh, i must good. say i had a, I had a look at <laughs> sally's notes before i, I came prepared everybody oh, and <laughs> so um, good. <laughs> there's a book that's just come out and i wanted to give it a, a shout out actually it's by sue cowley now you may have heard of sue cowley don't worry if you haven't um, and she's written this really great book called the artful educator creative imaginative and innovative approaches to teaching and what's interesting about it is that she takes different arts roles and job roles from the creative industries like the dancer the director the actor and she uses them as a bit of a lens to have a look at how we could use it to inform our teaching to make it more creative so she's got a chapter on the dancer and I thought it was quite interesting because it poses some interesting questions about how much we use our bodies as teachers not just in in physical subjects and and also how much we ask our pupils to use their bodies and be active in a lesson and how as they get older they tend to become more static i thought this quote was interesting she says it is fascinating to consider how we use our bodies to communicate as teachers how we move around within our teaching spaces and how we encourage the learners to move around when we're working with them 
Anna, just a few questions to to get you thinking, and you, we won't answer them necessarily in in this podcast. But just have a think. How do you use your body when you're teaching? How important is it? How do we choreograph pupils and their movement in our lessons? And how active are our pupils in our lessons? In Wales, we're trying to encourage healthy, confident individuals. How might looking at dance help us achieve that? Mm, that's a really interesting question, isn't it? And I think the three of us sitting around this table, you know, PE, drama and music, it sort of comes reasonably naturally to us to be thinking about those performance elements and things like body language and also uh, on a really kind of nuts and boltsy level how we manage the space we teach in because our Mm. spaces are tricky to teach in and I think perhaps if you're teaching a subject that's not one of those where you know your classroom tends to be full of desks and people tend to come in and sit down and, and then get up again at the end maybe as Sally was saying go and do some observation in some of those slightly different learning environments and then just pinch whatever you can and use it because you will you'll do that wonderful thing where the pupils don't expect something and something great comes out of it the final part of our podcast is an idea to try we like to give you something to go off and have a go at so Sally what is your tip for today Well, I'm not sure it's just a little one-off idea. For me, being a practical subject, I don't have books uh, to write in and boards, particularly boards a lot of the time. But we do use lots of little resources. So we might make exit tickets. We might have card sorts. We might have um, terminology cards. And I think making a little resource that supports an element of your lesson is worthwhile Mm. and once you've made it you've got it you don't have to keep me remaking it but investing in making small resources simple resources that support the the cognitive element of your lesson give it it's a stimulation it gives children something to uh, a platform to start from a direction to go in although they seem like a bit of a fag to make in the first place sometimes One, I think they're quite therapeutic thing to do because you're playing with making something and thinking about how they're going to be used and if that's the best way to do it. And then you can actually cut out little pictures and stick them on card and laminate if that's your sort of thing that gives you pleasure. It's quite a nice thing to do. But I think that children respond really well to a resource that's simple but looks well made. Yes, the quality of it is important. So writing on a piece of A4 paper and shoving it in front of a kid, I don't think is professional. Making some nice little cards that are laminated that you can keep using again, but supports learning is a really valuable use of your time. And I think that's the difference between a good student and an average student. For me, a lot of the time, an average student hasn't bothered with the additional little things that can make a significant difference. Absolutely. So I would always encourage making a little resource that would support a lesson. You can't do it for every lesson, but you can build up those resources over time. I I really agree with this. It resonated with me a lot, and, and, and particularly about taking pride in those resources, because that extends then, hopefully, to their work. 
you know if if everything that you're putting in front of them has been really carefully crafted and selected then hopefully that's going to sort of model to them what your expectations are and I do think that it's that representation of quality isn't it you know you'd expect that from them in their work shouldn't they have the same expectation from you but I don't think you can do it for every single lesson I think you have to build those resources over time and sometimes you won't have time to do it although you think it would be a nice thing Mm. but over time you can have those resources I saw a really great tweet actually that links in with this from an NQT actually who she's she's at Miss Geog 92 by the way if anybody wants to follow her she was quite inspirational and she put out a tweet about how she'd taken a lot of time getting her classroom ready for her new students and it looked beautiful it was such an inspiring environment it was colourful it was thought provoking it was rooted in learning it wasn't just kind of frivolous decorative environment it was actually really stimulating and she felt proud of it and it extends there to those resources that you give you know what you're putting out in front of those kids says a lot about you and what you think about their education absolutely and that's us done i think Another episode in the can of the PGC podcast. Sally, we are so grateful to you for coming in here and talking to us. I think these podcasts are a really lovely idea. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sally. You're our first guest. We did not pay you 50 quid to say that. (laughs) No. (laughs) You didn't pay me anything. No. You can be our guest every time now. Wonderful. We will be back with our next episode in a couple of weeks' time. So in the meantime, if you're a student on placement, I hope it's going well. If you're a mentor, thank you. And uh, we'll speak to you all again soon. That was Emma and Tom's PGC podcast presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. The special guest this episode was me, Sally Bethel. Our thanks go to all the wonderful mentors who do brilliant things for our students week after week. And to Kelly Thomas and her puppets, we love you all. If you're a student teacher in placement, go and make your mentor a cup of tea now and then make friends with the laminator to make your resources sparkle. We're all off to do six laps of the field for for getting our kit. In the meantime, take care and enjoy teaching. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Yay. Fab. That was great.